Hey, welcome to Kings for Christ. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. We pray that today's message touches your spirit and that you're able to take something from it and grow. And we pray that you enjoy it. Thank you. All right. Hello and good morning, fellas. Uh, welcome again to another week of Bible study. Today we will be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and as usual, we'll take our take turns reading throughout the chapter. Um, there are only 16 verses. Should be should be pretty quick, quick read through. Um, and then we'll just kind of talk about some things that stood out to us or maybe even go off topic a little bit. Talk about some more pressing or current topics and go from there. Um, but before we get into it, I will go ahead and pray us in and then we can get into uh, reading First Timothy chapter three. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. Um, Lord, I thank you that uh, we are here and we are able to be present, um, that we have this opportunity to learn and grow uh, with our relationship with you. Um, and as well as um, just knowing ourselves better, oh God, I pray, Lord, um, that we would open up our hearts, minds, souls, and spirits, oh God, to receive everything that you may need for us, um, or that we may just need in general, um, so that way we could be the men that you have called us to be, oh God. Um, I pray, Lord, that we would be open to correction, um, that we would be open to being disciplined, um, and ultimately, oh God, that the message that we talk about today can not only be something that we learn, but something that it can be used and applied into our daily lives, oh God. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you would just eliminate any distractions or any hindrances the enemy may have planned, oh God. And I just pray that we're here, we're present, um, and we're even open to, to speak about truth and the things that may be going on in our lives. And God, I just really just hope and pray that this is a fruitful conversation. Um, yeah, and I ask all these things to be done in Jesus' mighty name. We pray, Amen. 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 Right. Amen. I can start if you would like to. Go right ahead. First Timothy three. Leaders in the church, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So, a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be a faithful, he must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. Three is not given to wine. I'm reading a New King James. To wine, not violent, not greedy for money but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who, verse four, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Verse five, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how he take care of the church of God. A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. Must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. Likewise, their, lot, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. 
Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their households well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for them obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in faith, which is in Jesus Christ. I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the truth of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in, he was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Um, you know, this, this passage is, it's kind of interesting because it, it makes me think about just the, at least like political and governmental leadership that we have. To my knowledge, a lot of this stuff that is required of someone to be in some type of position is not necessarily something about their character, but more so about their experience. And part of me feels like there needs to be some, somewhat of a, of a combination of both. And I'm, I'm saying that because like, and in this passage, um, there's a couple of times where like in verse 12, it says a deacon must be faithful to his wife and he must not, and he must manage his children and household well. There's another passage. Let me go back a little bit <clears throat> right here. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money, stuff like that. So yeah, I, I don't know, but that just kind of made me think about like, I think it doesn't even necessarily have to be like in a political sense, but I think sometimes we we can focus a lot on someone's qualifications. And I think that's great, but also believe that your character of who you are as a person is just as significant, maybe even more significant than what you what you're known for do. Uh, because I, I mean, you may have, you know, great talents and stuff, but if, if you're someone that I can't trust, then it's like, maybe I don't, I don't want you to, to be working here. Maybe I don't want you to be leading me, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Um, my dad, go ahead. I was going to say this is my dad. He, He always tells us like, um, don't let your gift take you where your character can't keep you. Mm. And it's like your gift will only take you so far if your character is messed up. And um, say the last thing I was gonna say, well, we see that with uh, with R. Kelly and how how gifted and talented he was, but his character and all the things he had been doing, like in a, in the dark, I guess per se, and came out, and now he faced the consequences for for it. So literally in the dark, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good example. Also, though. Um, Gosh, it's on my heart burning. It, you, what version we are reading from in the beginning? Because you were translating as as a position of a church leader. I was bringing up because oh, my connections. Okay, because what was translated into church leader is um, was of course in in other versions translated as bishop, but that word means. Uh, overseer, not just a leader in the church sense, sorry I'm breaking up, um, is good, 
and that's standard. Uh, it's it's a, a higher standard than uh, what's normally for any church leader. In other words, um, if you say church leader, you might think they have the deacon board. You might think of somebody running Sunday school. And those people need to have those qualifications. Uh, but also, someone someone has to also have the, the characteristics. And they were talking about the ones of the bishop, which are higher, higher standard than that of, you know, an every, I don't want to say everyday leader, but a non-appointed leader, put that way. I love the above approach. And that's important because there's too many people that are in leadership of the church right now who are lies and be raggedy. Mm. And you have to, as a church leader, set an example for people. Not that you have to be perfect, because perfect Jesus. You're striving toward that, but that you just have characteristics that stick you off in the general everyday crowd, because you have to also be an example that people can see. So you do have a leader that's, that's failing or not holding up to the standard. Are you, or can you um, correct them in, in a way that, I guess, when do you, when do you challenge authority when, when you see them doing wrong, whether that's stealing money from the church, sleeping with somebody's wife, or because it happens all the time. So I guess, when can you challenge that authority? When you find out, okay, you know, how, how you do it, mm-hmm. okay. Just uh, talks about in Matthew, let's say Matthew 18, 18, or 18, 19. If you had ought against a brother, you go with that person one on one directly. Some of the challenges that it's in the church right now, and I'm saying the church, I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ in general, not just denominationally, or no, no not even just the black church, but in general, is that. People don't want to confront and mm-hmm. people want to be corrected. They want to think when they're in leadership above everybody else, and that's not the case. And mm-hmm. Everything else is supposed to be more humble than everyone everyone else. Mm-hmm. So if you catch them by and you know they're sleeping around or stealing money, you go to that person one on one, let them know what you found out, and confront them. And love, don't be like, I told you, I caught you, your brother. Let me let me let me talk to you for a second. Um, and brought. I discovered X, Y, Z, A, B, C. I could be wrong, but this is what I've noticed. This is what I've seen. As I've been told. Um, mm-hmm. Need to get that right. Help you? Can I, can I pray for you? You know, see that way, a person is more ready to receive it. Now, if they don't receive it, that's when you go to get another person. Another person, yeah. Okay, and go back to the situation again. Yeah. If they don't receive that, then you go get another person. Another person. A few more people. I mean, it's scripture very it lays it out in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Handle it. By the time it gets escalated, the board of directors or even the pastor, that person, by the time it hits the pastor, they don't want to deal with it then. <laughs> if it's the pastor, you gotta take it to the to whatever governing body you have, or to the pastor's pastor. Okay. Mm-hmm. By the time it hits that kind of level, if that person hasn't repent changed, then yes, they're going to get basically thrown out of the church or discipline some way that sits them down. Mm-hmm. Some people in church leadership think that because they're their position that at the deacon board on the ministerial staff or like that, that they can't be corrected by a peon, but that's not what. Matthew teaches. That's what, what the body of Christ is not about. We're not about a hierarchy in the sense of 
we're all brothers and sisters in Christ of equal level. People perform different offices and different okay. functions, but in the sight of God, we're all, he's got no respect to the persons. Uh-huh. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you. Yes, please. Go ahead. I, had, I had a question, and this is like me actually asking. Like, when it talks about blameless, he said, like, he must be blameless. And then I noticed that it doesn't say it has to be sinless because we all sin. So what is, like, blameless, like, mean? Does that mean, like, without serious sin? Or, like, what, is, what does that mean? Because I'm actually kind of confused. Yeah, that's verse two, right? Um, It says it. Yeah, it does say in verse two, but I know it says it again oh, okay. somewhere else. Yeah. I'm gonna look at, at I'm gonna look at the Greek word for it real quick while you, while you all are talking. So go ahead. I'm gonna go back to the, the original Greek to see what word that was used. Off like the initial thought, to me it almost sounds like uh, someone who is who hasn't kind of like repented for any of their sins. So someone that's like. Like I could point the blame at you for for doing this because we of course we all have, have sinned, but it's like there's a there's the aspect of like still coming to God and asking for repentance or that. And so if you're someone who hasn't repented for a specific sin or something, but it's still known. That, that's my initial though. I mean, I, I could still be wrong, but that's almost what, what comes to my mind. On a quick um check on the word that was used for blameless. The word, the short word without reproach, it means irreproachable, never wrong. It comes from, and the Strong's talk about being blameless, bukeable. So it's a derivative of not arrested by implication, inculpable. So we see here, right? The word is blameless, it means irreproachable, not doing wrong. So, yeah, not perfect. That means nobody would measure up, but not caught doing or never caught doing wrong. Doesn't mean they don't ever do wrong. It's never they've been caught doing wrong. It appears to be of good character one that isn't being questioned. Okay. Does that help? That makes sense. That makes sense. I know there is a with God, there's some sins that we that we do and we all commit sins. And then like God would deal with them within ourselves like he will take us in, the, in our quiet place in his quiet place and we'll deal with them like that but if you don't deal with them there then he'll like expose it i think it was i think he was talking to david when he talked about uh for this thing you've done in, in secret but i'll make it public there's a lot of scriptures talking about how god uh bring darkness to light and basically saying like he'll expose you if you don't deal with it in the silence so maybe that, that's a that's a good uh explanation so if a deacon or a bishop has a sin that they refuse to deal with in private there god has they they're aware of god has brought to them and like now it has been exposed that that can't happen you have to if you like because like you said we're all with sin so you have to deal with that early not let it get out yeah i actually like to add to that like uh my quill has sent me this uh this text and it said that um if if yesterday you failed and you fail and you sinned and you are unconcerned, then you would be right to fear. However, if your heart is broken over yesterday's failures, run to Christ immediately and do not delay, for his compassions never fail, and they are new every morning. 
And so, like, I think to add to that, like, uh, it's, if, if it's a leader that lacks conviction uh, or even, like you were saying, Drew, like, they, be, they become aware of what they did and, and, and are not, like, willing to repent and turn away or whatever, then I feel like that's a, a dangerous spot to be in. And um, I think that's even something that something that I uh, uh, sometimes think about for myself. Like if I do something and I don't feel any like conviction or remorse about it, I'm like, dang, like how far have I how far how deep have I gotten into this to where I'm like. Like, I don't even care anymore, like I'm just doing this now willingly and not even like thinking about turning back to God or, or, or repenting or whatever. I feel like that's a dangerous place to be in because it's like you just don't know how deep uh, into the darkness you've gotten into, I guess. And then, uh, like you said, you too, like at that point, you risk um, eventually being exposed to everybody else. And now there goes your character. There goes your reputation. There goes the trust, all that stuff. Uh, that's 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 real. And I kind of wanted to kind of going along with that but kind of going off topic a little bit because i know uh, i think it was was it last week it was last week in uh chapter two marco had kind of uh hinted he said this was actually it was actually really good he um talked about how the man is supposed to be the uh the man of the household and the household and the church are supposed to reflect each other you know kind of like saying um how a man is supposed to lead not saying that a woman cannot lead in the church a woman has to say no words she can't say anything in church but like like theoretically like, like the like the bible talks about a man supposed to lead a, the, their household and a woman is supposed to uh a man supposed to lead a household and is supposed to reflect the church at the same time so going along with that when he talks about their wives in 11 their wives must be uh uh reverent and not slanderous and tempered uh faithful in all things so do you feel like i could your wife could mess up your your i don't know like, like your stance on being a deacon like you feel like you could be demoted or not be worthy to be a deacon or a bishop in the church because of something because how, how your wife is or how your wife is acting um i think like just based on the whole conversation, my thought is as far as like being blameless, like you represent the church. Um, like we all represent the church, but obviously if you hold a leadership present a leadership position, you rep you represent the church anymore, even more. And you know, we talk about talk a lot about tainting your witness. And it's like like imagine somebody from the world, like the husband is a deacon. This might be a little bit extreme, but the husband is the deacon and the wife is a stripper. It's like, how does that add up? Like if marriage is your marriage is supposed to reflect the church. And it's like if you're not taking care of your household, but you're taking care of the church, you're not taking care of your first ministry. So it's how can you represent the church if you because you you see a lot of people put more priority over serving the church rather than serving the family. And that's actually backwards. And so it's like other people looking in could be like, oh, Deacon, you know, he puts more emphasis on taking care of the church than taking care of his household. I can do the same or that they think that's the right way to do things. Because there's so many people that grow up seeing like their fathers pay more attention to the church than they do their family. And other people grow up and thinking that's like, oh, that's the proper way. 
as a pastor, I need to put my church first, or as a deacon, I need to put my church first and my family second, when that's completely opposite, not a God's will. It's supposed to be family, then church. So it's like, obviously, if your wife is doing, your wife may, do, may be doing things just because you, she feel like she's neglected. It's like, oh, you know, you put the church before me, I'm a wild out. So as a husband, it's like, okay, I got to take care of my wife. The church can wait. Not saying the church isn't a priority, but your first priority is your family. Like you made a vow to your wife. You didn't stand in front of God and make a vow to the church. You made a vow to take care of your family. So that's first. And then you take care of the church. So I think it's more about, you know, where's your priority? Like your priority is supposed to be your family, then your church. And so I believe like if your wife is or your family is acting out, it's like you need to be putting your priority and focus on your family. And then you could come back and take care of the church's business. So that, that makes me think of two things. Uh, first, uh, it makes me think of, uh, I think it was Hosea, uh, the book of Hosea, where you talk about uh, a person that's in leadership, but the wife is a stripper. Um, but the context is like God told him to marry the prostitute. Yeah. You know, and it was like symbolic or whatever. But that, I think that was just interesting and funny because it was like literally a prophet that was married to a prostitute. Um, but um, I think the other thing it made me think about was Adam and Eve and how, you know, Eve was listening to the to, to Satan. And um, and I'm thinking like, so where was Adam in all of this? You know? Right next, and he was like right there, right there, like next to her. And it's like, as a the as the husband, as the head of the household, like what could he have done differently so that that wouldn't have that situation would have turned differently, you know? Because it was Eve that ate the apple, then offered it to Adam, and then he ate it. And it's like, where how could Adam had have handled it where he could have, you know? covered his wife or saw that this was a situation where it was like, no, we're heading in the wrong direction. Like, let's get away from this. Cause this is not where God told us to be. Like, why, where, how, why didn't Adam have enough in him to be able to direct his wife or redirect his wife toward in a different direction? And is that, is that what we see nowadays? Question? Yeah. Yeah. And is, is that, where, is that what we see nowadays often where it's like, where's the, the, is the man really covering their wives? Are they able to redirect? them if or not even their wives but just the household into the, in the right direction so yeah. i was going to say that um the two things i believe he should have did in that moment was to accept his responsibility to reject his passivity um he had the responsibility of informing eve the law of which God gave him. Now, I don't know if he did that. It's not really plain in scripture as to what was supposed to happen, but that was something that he ought, ought, to, ought to have done after the Lord had given him this law. Um, he should have also rejected his passivity of just being there and sitting and watching this whole thing play out. Rather, he should have spoke up or said something because he knew exactly what the law was and he knew what, what God told him to do. And so here comes this, you know, serpent or whatever to, to be deceiving of, of Eve, which the serpent was, was wise going to Eve and not to Adam originally. Uh, 
But yeah, Adam, I mean, Adam being right there, like, it's just like, bro, say something, do something. And then, it's, right. you know, sometimes it's like we we put the blame on, on Eve because she, you know, took the first bite. But it was just like, nah, that's not even really her fault. Like, that's it's really on Adam. Like, if anything, we, we ought to be upset with him. I wouldn't even blame both of them. I would blame just straight up Adam in that situation. Because if you are supposed to be a husband who who leads courageously, do so. Well, I agree with you, Zeke. Do want to add this just to keep a kind of perspective on it. Eve was deceived from sin. Okay, Eve was deceived into making a poor choice, but Adam clearly knew, without question, and decided to disobey God. And that's the difference. It's one thing to be deceived, okay, deceived into making a wrong decision and that kind of thing, but to clearly got in sin. Of course, that could beg the question: Is just is being deceived sin? I'm not trying to solve that one right now. Just threw that out there. Well, I want to like point out that like like kind of how as you can see like the. The Bible, like a lot of time, we blame uh, Eve. I, I was reading Romans, Romans chapter five, and I think like fifteen through uh, about nineteen, and it talks about how it's one man's sin caused death in the world, another man's sin brought life into the world, and you're talking about Adam and Jesus. So in this point, the Bible is blaming blaming Adam, like like you know, like as he was saying, like he he should have stopped it. He wasn't. It didn't say that he was deceived, though. You know, like right. He he knew what was going on, so it was his fault. So kind of going going to um, instance of the deacon in the say like deacon in a stripper. You yo, I I'm not saying you like maybe maybe your wife willingly chose to be a stripper, but it's like it's your job to like stop that. You know, like change that up, like switch that, rebuke it, pray over it. Uh, douser or whatever you got to do you know what i mean like to like to stop that as you're the head of the household you control what goes in and what goes out <clears throat> and that's the spirit that's like well, i guess it's in your wife if she's doing something like that now not even stripping but just anything that's like sinful it's 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 your job to to uh rebuke that or or or, or uh let that not don't let that come in your household let that come in your family because then cause when god when on judgment day god will look at you if you look at the look, going back to Romans, God looked at Adam. God blamed Adam. Like he didn't blame, he didn't really like blame Eve for like most of the blame was on Adam. So I do think it's it's like important to like well, I just cut somebody off. I was just saying, yeah, agreeing with you. Uh I, I do think it's I wouldn't I <laughs> I don't want to say I would say keep your household in check. It's, it's very important for especially if you're not even just a deacon or a bishop, but just a man in your other house. It's important to keep your house in, in check and aligned with the word of God. Because like at the end of the day, it's gonna fall. God gonna look at you and put and put the blame on you and put the judgment on you. Yeah, I, I was just gonna add uh with that Romans um thing. I don't know if you said the exact verse, but it was it's Romans five. It says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. So specifically is is showing there that it wasn't Eve who sinned, it was Adam. This was Adam's sin. When he sinned, that's when sin entered the world. And so you can even see back when you go back into the passage, both of their eyes aren't open until Adam partakes of the fruit. 
So that's another example of showing that, like, we it's not even about Eve at that point. It's about what Adam did to bring sin into this world. No, nah, because I was going to say Adam could have saw the thing Eve did and let it go and still could have been like, yo, you know, we shouldn't do that. I'm not going to partake of it. This is something we shouldn't be doing. And, like, who knows how things would have played out. Eventually, somebody would have took for the tree anyway. You know, so I, there's no point of blaming Adam and Eve for everything we're going through because somebody would have ate from the tree eventually. But it's like, you know, what if Adam would have, not, I won't say correct it because it sounds childlike, but what if Adam would have came to his wife and said, hey, Eve, this isn't something that God wants us to do. I'm not going to partake of it. And let's, you know, move forward from this. And Markel, to your point, imagine what would have been like if Eve, you know, Adam had just stood there while it was going on. Eve took the fruit, ate it, gave it to Adam. He said, nope, I'm not eating it. Okay. I'm not eating it. I said, don't eat it. I'm not eating it. Would sin had come into the world? Okay. Because he was her covering. Sin didn't come into the world until he, he ate. So maybe it would have been, it would have still been covered. No, not to do it again. Okay. But like you said, what if, uh, and that's a good point. The whole what if sometimes, but yes. Needs to be a husband of but one wife. <laughs> Life needs to be blameless. And as uh, um, Rihanna, no, Eddie brought out, if um, you know, you find someone, catch them in a thought, you need to go to that person and gently restore them. So that's why they had that little thought process there. You know, this is why I feel like it's important that uh, you are like called to the ministry or like you get like, uh, you know what I'm saying, like you're deemed by God or you feel the push by God to be a, a deacon or a bishop or a pastor. There's a lot of people who, especially I see it now, who just uh, become a pastor because it looks smooth, you know what I'm saying? Or you want the money or I don't know. I don't, I don't know why people want it. I remember my dad was talking about uh, how he was growing up. He was talking about the this, this street he grew up on and like how now he rides down it. And it's more churches than gas stations, you know. And I'm not saying I look, I'm not God. So I'm not saying that all these people aren't appointed by God. But it's I, just like. You said what? No, I was saying, oh man, that's true. I, yeah. I wasn't, I was agreeing with you because uh, he does, first of all, personal call very personal and right. I get it, but you're right to bring that point up because, you know, God calls them and then he qualifies you. And some people were, were called, but not chosen. In other words, I called them to the ministry, but they didn't do what was taken for them to really receive his anointing and power upon them to do the ministry and so doing maybe out there on their own but what the real thing is that you hold people's lives in the back as a deacon pastor bishop whatever church leader office you have people will listen to you based mm -hmm. on the fact of your integrity your character the office that you walk in to be very very circumspect of what you do what you say how you conduct yourself because it does have consequences. Mm -hmm. And as a judgment seat, we're going to experience it. I mean, as a believer, we're going to be judged by 
on what you did with the salvation that Jesus and the world will be judged upon whether they receive Christ or not. But one of the things is that we'll be judged as a, as a church leader, as a pastor, a bishop, on a higher, even higher standard of how you influence the lives of other people based upon what you did with what God told you to do. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Your dad's right. Had a good question. And some people, let's just say, call themselves because of power. Mm-hmm. They look at ministry as a vision of power or position. They want some kind of position in the community and the prestige that goes with it. It ain't a lot of money necessarily. That's a very small percentage of people that make a lot of money at it. I'll tell you that. Uh-huh. I wanted to bring up that point really quick about um, how important it is to be mindful of the things that you say um, because people can just off rip just believe it. Uh, Andrew, you was there when I was at um, Jaheem or whatever grad party and the dude that was next to you was like, he had said to me like, man, you could tell me that the, the sky is purple and I believe you. It's just like how you talk and how you carry yourself or whatever. And in a moment, you know, it make you feel good that someone will say something like that to you. Um, but thinking about it now, it's just like, man, do people just like not, you know, do like any type of like research or looking at stuff on, on their own? Or do they just like kind of believe whatever they hear and just go with it? And it just seems like most of the time, especially now, people just kind of go with what they hear and just hope oh, that's what I heard. So I'm going with it. And so that's why it's, uh, it sucks that that's the case, because I mean, I feel like everybody should kind of like, you know, believe it for themselves, not just because, you know, somebody told you this is what it is. Like, you should go figure out why something is true, not just because I say it is. But the reality is, is that like with us being in some type of leadership position, people are going to be like, well, because he he's this, he, he has to be telling the truth. Right. I look at it as like a teacher. If my teacher is saying something in the classroom. I'm thinking that like, well, what they're saying is right because they're teaching me and they have this degree. They, they've done this study and, and whatever. And so it's, it's just so important, so significant that what what we say has to be truth. It has to come from God, because otherwise we're just going to be out here deceiving people and they don't even know. And who are we? Who's going to be to blame? It's not going to be them. It's going to be us to blame. Right. The same thing with that, with the Adam and Eve story. We didn't we're not looking at Eve because of what happened, but it's because. Adam had the knowledge of it. So his responsibility to then teach Eve what, what it is, what, what the truth was. And so same thing with us. We have the knowledge, right? We have to then tell people what the truth is so that they are without blame. You know, that kind of reminds me. I just figured this out recently. I always hear people say, uh, like a lot of pastors say quote the scripture and they say uh uh how uh what's it called they say my sheep know my voice and I, I hear that so much and then i was like when i read it i'm like that's not what it says it says <laughs> it says my sheep hear my voice you know it's a lot of scriptures that pastors misinterpret and then people uh 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 start to believe different things and get misled. And also like, it's just really important on what you're saying, what you do as a pastor. I know uh, this is a guy named uh, Shannon. He's over Young Life in Detroit. He talked about how his mom uh, went to church a long time ago and the pastor tried to lay hands on her. And I guess she just doesn't like people touching her. So he, he tried to lay hands on her and she like jumped back. And the pastor said, oh, you got a demon in you. you you're, you're demon possessed or whatever. And then 
I, 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 you have to have him have to tell the story, but I think he said like she never went back to church again, or she never like built a relationship with God off of that. And I think about, it, I'm like, wow, like think about that, like just off of God didn't tell you there was a demon in that woman just because you jumped back. I don't like people touching me either, for real, for real. But so just because somebody jumped back, that doesn't mean like you have a demon in you. And because of what the pastor said to that woman is what I'm getting at. Because of what the pastor said to that woman, because of what he uh, uh how he treated her, how the position he held, how he uh, treated her made her not really value God, not value the church, not value having a relationship with God. Because she she's like, oh, this is how the church is. The church saying I'm I'm demon possessed. And just because I don't like people touching me, then God really is not for me then. You know, so it is definitely as a pastor, as a deacon, as a bishop, you need to like, it's important that you like uh watch what you say. Like like you you're hold to a different standard. And it's also important for us to not hold our bishops and deacons in like the position of, of God almost. Now, I was just going to say that these qualifications that we just read, they apply to all Christians. But it's like it's especially if you hold this office or this title. Yeah. And I was going to say, like people. I think going back to what you said, Pastor, uh, Pastor Rob, about like people wanting the position, but not knowing everything that goes into it like um people got to be people got to know and but my question is too like what about for uh like like pastors kids you know I'm, i'm a pastor kid myself being born into this you know and um having living this life um it's not something that i asked for and it just came automatically because not only do I, um, uh, you know, my dad accepting the call to be a pastor, but me being his son, it's like now I have to have an awareness of how how I act because I'm a representation of my parents who are a representation of the church that they lead. And so is there anybody that can maybe like speak to that, like people that come into this place um, that they didn't even um, ask for? Um, and I guess my dad, my dad also said, like, he said something about, like, anybody that's in leadership, they never they never really want it. You know, it's just something that when God calls you, you either accept the call or you live a life um, in rejection of the call, which is harder than accepting the call. But then, like, what if you kind of are born into it and really have no choice or do I always have a choice? And I just have to learn to embrace it. And so that's something that I've dealt with since birth, basically. Um, but just coming aware of it in like in recent years. So yeah, I was gonna say you always have a choice. You know, you can you can run from God. I mean, a lot of people, I think Pastor Rob, I think you mentioned running from your calling a little bit a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. Like pretty much every pastor I've talked to. They talked about how they ran from their calling. Like, there's some people that wanted the title, of course, but like most of the pastors that I know, they all said they didn't want it and they wanted to run from it. And it's like, you know, they had that choice to continue running from it. But, you know, as you said, it's difficult. <laughs> like, life is more difficult when you're running from God. Um, you get beat up. <laughs> yeah. Like, at that point, you're just fighting against yourself. <laughs> right. And it's like, if you think about it, who, like, not too many people really want their calling. Cause, like, especially, cause then you got to deal with people. 
And like people are human. You know, people let you down, disappoint you. And I think that's what any calling, you know, we talk about it just being pastoral, but any calling, it's like you got to submit to God. You can't just do what you want to do. If you're, right. If, if you're a prophet, you might have to tell somebody something you don't want to want to want to tell them. But God is like, tell this person that. Tell this person that. And you like, God, you know, they, may, they might react this way or might react that way. But, you know, yeah. being submissive, being submissive to God is not always easy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody on here could find something they would rather be doing. That's you know sinful and not of God. But so, even then, even then, I, I'm thinking like I could have been a, just a regular church member. I could have, I could have been just welcoming people. I, I can, I can welcome people at the door. That's easy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like you also could have been born white. You could have born, been born exactly. Mexican. Right. So like we can, we can play the what if game. But it's like if we say that God knew us before He formed us in our mother's womb, that means. He put thought and effort to who your parents were gonna be. Mm. Like it's not a mistake that your parents are who they are. So it's like if you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, yeah, you got a choice to you can run away from your family. But it's like, is that serving you or is that serving God? Mm. So it's like we can all run away from what God tells us to do. Like we do have a choice. You got a choice to not be a PK kid, like. You can run away, especially oh, now that you, especially now that you're an adult. You can you can not even claim your family if you wanted to. That's your choice. But is that God's will? Or is that your will? Right. And it's like when you sit back and look at it from that perspective, it's just like okay, you start thinking, God. You stop thinking, God. Why would you do this to me? You say. You sit back and look, God, why would you, why did you put me in this position? It must be a reason why. Real, reveal to me that why. I have a question. Uh, for like callings and stuff on people's life, um, I don't know if anybody else experienced this, but like for calling purposes, maybe Pastor Rob, like I could talk to you about this. So like when you have a calling and like you want to run away from it does it like pull on your heart like all the time yeah and then you ask like you pray the good description it's gonna pull on your heart i mean and, I, and sometimes I, like I, I, like can you like take it away like the desire away but like he doesn't take it away oh you can ask him what you want to but he's gonna god's gonna do what he wants to do so in other words if god's telling on your heart to do something it could be a call to ministry. It could be just in any area of your life. Mm-hmm. Whatever God's calling you to do, it's going to be not 24-7 nudge. It's going to be frequent enough to get your attention. God mm-hmm. has this unique way of knowing you so well. He will orchestrate and design things to get your attention, to kind of get you to go where he wants you to go. Now, you can be stubborn and hard-headed, and those situations will be more consequential. Yes. Or you could just go ahead and, and feel that tugging and that release in your spirit and follow that. It's a lot, I'm not going to say easier. It's a lot, yeah, it is easier if you just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit about something as opposed to kicking and screaming and wanting to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. One of the things of youth is that you want to do your own thing because 
you think you got this and you can do it all yourself. And as you get older in the things of God, you find it's never about you in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to give you a prime example. And I'm going to be real transparent. I was going to call in this morning and tell you all that with this weekend, I have to pick up, uh, pick up some stuff, go buy a new computer and get my bike. I wasn't going to be on here. But the way I was, my day was orchestra- starting out being orchestrated because I had some other stuff to do. I realized at about 10, 15, 10, 30, that I just need to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't ever not want to be here. That's not the point. I just know I've given my word about picking up my bike and needed to get that done, yada, yada, other things. And I had to realize who orchestrates my day, me or God? Yeah. When I give up to him and let him orchestrate my day, then I'm at peace. And I've learned to follow peace. You know, and he'll work things out in my favor because I'm following him and I'm following peace. Mm-hmm. But if I ran out the door to go do other stuff, other things that I do, who would have known what might have changed and had maybe the, the deal that I thought I was gonna get won't I won't get. Okay. Maybe something would have happened along the way. I don't know. Well you helped him. So I'm glad I, you came. I said, you're helping me, so I'm glad you came. Okay. So I'm, I'm learning, just like anyone else is learning. I'm being real honest with you all. I'm learning to follow what he says to do. Even in the midst of what I may have prayed and got my list of what I want to get done, let him orchestrate your day. Because he would do a much better job with it. can line things up and you could be a blessing to more people than you would ever been able to do on your own. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I kind of wanted to backtrack slightly a little bit um, with Eddie, how you was talking about kind of being born into something. And now this is kind of like the life that you have. Um, I believe that you shouldn't conduct yourself based off of who your family is, but more so of what God says you are and what God is calling you to do. And so because you, you have this background of like being the, you know, the son of a pastor, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to, you know, fulfill that same role that your father did. But what you ought to do is fulfill the role that, that God wants you to have. What you ought to do is just, you know, live and accept your identity of who Christ is. So regardless of, you know, who your family is or what your identity is, it doesn't mean that you have to subscribe to a, to a way of life. Because what if you were born into an atheist family? You know, God still is going to have some type of purpose for you to do and fulfill. It's not not just because you're born into something doesn't mean that you have to you know live that way or conduct yourself that way. To the end of the day, you still got to choose, you know. And so that choice should be based off of you know what God says about you and who, and who He says that you are, not what is known of your family's identity. I think that's a good point because that's something I've also thought about too. Like if I was born into like you said an atheist or a Muslim family, would I be Muslim? You know, what about, you know, and so I guess, like you said, it's, it's more so about the identity that Christ has given me through Christ and um, learning my own identities by, through relationship with him. Um, like you said, so, yes, yeah, it's good points. That's wise. That's real wise. Because, yeah, I, I want to add to that. I, I appreciate you bringing that up, Zeke, because it's very important. Um it is God call your parents a ministry you're born into it 
but that doesn't mean that you have to be any particular way, but, but who God's called you to be, who he's created you to be, okay? That's different. So if your father was like, my kid, my dad was in the military. He wanted me to be in the military. I wanted nothing to do with it. As it's turned out, God has something totally different for me, a different kind of military. <laughs> but if I'd have been chasing that, chasing down what, what my dad had wanted from me, maybe it would have seen would have received the call that God had placed upon my life. So you have to be you, who God created you to be, who's, who's more than shaping you to be. I'll stop there. I mean, you also got to realize that we are, we were first children of God and not children of our father. So just because we were, we were something, our father wants to be something. God has already ordained to be something else, you know? So, and I, Eddie, I do feel you on that because I'm a, a preacher's kid too, and I don't, I don't, I really don't like it. I don't like people be like, "You gonna make a good pastor one day." I'm like, ah, "All right," <laughs> you know what I mean. So I, I feel that, especially if that's not what God called you to be, don't let man like try to place you somewhere just because that's what they think you should do. You know what I'm saying? Like ultimately you have to be like called by god like if if your past if your dad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor and god just doesn't call you to be a pastor don't don't go into the ministry like don't 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 i'm gonna say that don't don't be trying to don't try to be a pastor you know what i mean don't try to be a pastor just because you feel like you should be or you feel like uh well everybody else was pastor so i'm gonna go ahead and do like no nah, because then that's once again that's how you get seven churches down the down one street and they all some four four square church, uh, mega ministry, something like that, just because you felt like you should and you weren't called by God. I mean, I honestly was thinking this back in like eighth grade and I couldn't figure it out, honestly. So I kind of drifted myself away from church because I didn't feel like I had a choice. And then that led me to being around a lot of people who weren't. And it made me so grateful and in realization of everything that I had, I didn't see at the time. Like a lot of things that they had instilled in me that wasn't instilled in others. And it just made me kind of feel bad, you know, like little things. Mm. And I had to understand like over years and how deep it got that it was a calling because I would find myself like guiding my friends, and even family members without me even trying because of beliefs that was instilled in me. And it just made sense to me. It didn't make sense to everybody else. And then I had to realize over time that it just brought me right back to church. Like, it brings me back every time because I do get that feeling of, like, you don't feel like you have a choice and everything. And then I start to try to choose, and it just leads me back to one place. So <laughs> I just wanted to piggyback off that and really speak on what he was talking about on how being born into it kind of makes you feel that way. But it's like, man, even though I'm only 21, I feel like every direction I go in leads me like straight back to God, like literally. <laughs> Good I want run circles. <laughs> just want to add to that too. Like it just made me think. Um, I want to hear like hear your thoughts, but like maybe one of the greatest gifts uh besides salvation that God has given us is free will and the power of choice. And like 
meaning and or maybe even one of the wisest things because it's like he didn't want to force himself on us he didn't want this whole thing as far as the relationship with him to be forced but it's so much power in like choosing to have a relationship with god choosing to serve god choosing him instead of it being forced um and i think in that it's like going back to how like even love is a choice and just make me think about that because no one wants to feel like forced or pressured but then also like you were saying at the end of the day we know what's real we know that only god can fulfill us can fill the void in our hearts has the answers to the questions that we seek or are longing for so it's like at the end of the day it's like no matter how far we go we're going to find our way back because god is all god is the only way and so um so yeah and that's why too like i'm thankful that um i choose to serve god and god chose me because i used to think like what if i was like studying or, or like i believed in another religion and then I die and I realize that Jesus is real. So that's why I'm grateful in this moment of, of being thankful that, you know, God, well, it, it, I guess like God chose me and I chose to, and I choose to praise God and give God my life because it could, it could be different, you know? And then we try to tell people, Hey, this is God. This is, you know, this is the right way. And then people go a wrong way or choose a different religion. And it's like, but I have so, so I have something that's greater and that will fulfill you. But you chasing something that you pretty much chasing the win. So I think that all in all, like just be grateful and, and thankful and humble that we chose God and God chose us to praise Him because it could be different. And I used to ask people like, um, like people that didn't believe in God. I used to ask them like, so if you die in God actually was in front of you and you didn't have to guess anymore, would you convert? And most people would hesitate. And I would say, well, it seems like someone being a higher power and leadership over you is the real problem that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And also too, like, that's why I tell people like, I would rather live my life as there is a God and then live my, uh, rather than live my life without one. Cause if I get to the end and God is real and I live my life however I wanted to, I know where I'm going versus me living my life first, living, living my life as pleasing to God and knowing that I'm going to heaven instead of going to hell. And that's one thing I try to tell people and relate to people because it's real. Yeah. I want to rebuttal that for a little bit just to challenge you. Um, what, if I, what if I chose the wrong God? What if I'm supposed to be, you know, praising like the Muslim God or the, the Buddhist God? When you say supposed to be, what do you mean by that? What is supposed to be? You saying like, um, I'd rather live my life, you know, serving serving God. Okay, Jesus. Is that different? Serving <laughs> Jesus as opposed to um, not. And then, okay, so like the point is I'd rather serve my life um, living for Jesus and find out there isn't a God versus live my life and not with him if I'm not there is one. So what did we end up, what about my, my, my guess, my uh, question or like rebuttal to kind of challenge you a little bit is like, well, what if it's not Jesus? What if it's supposed to be, you know, worshiping Buddha or something? Well, you, 
you you wrong. I mean, I don't want to say you wrong, but like based off what I believe, I just <laughs> would I just I would challenge you back and say, well, what if what if Buddha? Well, what if it's Jesus? At the end of the day, because you saying what if Buddha is real, and I say, well, what if my Jesus is real, which I know is real. And then we're going to get into an argument over religion again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what I, what I think is, is, is important is to kind of go with what the truth is and what is, what is reliable. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, initially, what I think about is like, well, look at all of like the, I guess, gods or figures in each religion. Right. Only one that comes back to life is Jesus. Exactly. Only one who doesn't stay dead is Christ. So I, that is like, well, that's why I'm choosing God. Um, and then you can even like go in a, in a deeper sense of like someone who whose death and resurrection is more is not necessarily more, but just the, the validity in all of that. Mm-hmm. It's more meaningful. Regardless of what you believe, the things that we know for certain about Jesus is that he was a man who, who, who was on this earth. Uh-huh. who died by crucifixion um, and whose body cannot be found. It rose on the third day. Yes. So it's like, even if you don't believe in God, that's a historical fact. Yeah. Like, there's no arguing that regardless of what you believe. Like, that's just, that's what it is. You can be in denial all you want, but that's what it was. So what about the people who don't hear about or never heard about God and they die? What happens to them then? Um. Actually, that's a that's a really good question. Um, so I think Romans 1, 19 and 20, like puts a really good like explanation um, for kind of like why that's not possible. Right. Um, and it says for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they know, uh, knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they become futile in their thinking, and their few foolish hearts were darkened. Um, yeah, that's good so far. Um, so the way I've been taught it, I've heard it explained, is that, for example, even if people don't necessarily understand um, or know the name of Jesus, they still have a component of God in them that like makes certain things like common sense almost. And I know like we live in a society today where like people don't really abide by these like moral laws that are written on our hearts. But like before Christ came and even before like the 10 commandments and before God was passing out laws um, to the like Hebrews, he was, he judged the whole generation of Noah because of the fact that they did, did evil and he never like we don't see God specifically telling them like hey don't do this or don't do this and mm-hmm. from the minute like of creation like there are certain things I got explicitly said like hey don't eat this fruit and yes like we still disobey but there are certain things that like are resident within us that we should understand um that not to say that God doesn't have to teach us and God doesn't have to tell us but Holy Spirit in us, like already understands, and Holy Spirit is in every person. You know, God has that available for everybody, right? And so, 
for example, like just thinking about the easiest law ever made in humanity, um, do not murder. You know, Cain, mm-hmm. like once again, like I said, we never see God telling Cain and Abel like, hey, don't kill each other. That wouldn't be like a cool thing for you to do. Yet and still when Cain like killed Abel, God responded and said, why did you do this evil thing? You know, mm-hmm. and he was talking to Cain as if like, you know, this is evil. Like, why would you do this? You know, instead of like, oh, my gosh, I forgot to tell you, like, that's evil. Like, oops, my bad. I slipped up, didn't tell you. So that, that that's on me. Like, no, that's not that's not how that was. And okay. in that same way, like and like I said, a lot of people will try to argue and say, like, well, but how can people do this and how can people do that? And it's not that and I'm not trying to get too far into an apologetic debate right now, but it's not that people don't have that voice resident. It's just that we disobey it. And so that's what Paul is telling people or saying that, hey, they might not have ever heard of the name Jesus. And for the people who just genuinely never had the opportunity to hear of Jesus, God wouldn't be unfair to them and say, like, oh, you never heard about them. Well, you're going to hell because of something that was not in your control, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are still things that God expects for us to do because we have um, like that inherent moral value that's placed on us by him, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, and also too, it's like when you, when a, when a kid is born, they don't they not they're not like told they're like told to do good things, but they do bad stuff. So it's like you got to train them up and explain to them what they ought to do and what not to do. Yeah, and I mm, yeah yeah okay hmm. okay thank you. To continue kind of a little bit what you were saying, Rian, they just show that like <clears throat> sin is kind of in our nature. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no one teaches their their child to lie. You know, like if I'm, if I've I've watched some kids before, and they've done some stuff that have been selfish. They've done some, they don't lie to me, and no, no parent. I don't care how bad of a parent you are. I'm pretty sure no parent is teaching their kid to lie or to hit or to do something like this at such a young age. This is something that is definitely within their nature. Mm-hmm. It shows that, like, we as humans were broken because we may, although we have the desire to do good, our actions reflect differently because we still fall and do do evil and do uh-huh. things that are not. And so that, that kind of makes me uh, think about that uh, passage in Romans chapter seven. I'm going to go to that real quick. Um, some of my brothers and sisters, you also have died in the law through the body. Oh, wait, never mind, right here. Uh, what, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin is had it not been for the law. For oh, wait, no, that's not it. That was helpful, okay. though. This is it for sure. I got you. Verse 21. <laughs> this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So although we have this desire to do good, there's something that is within us that is waging war against the law and, and wants us to do evil. Mm-hmm. 
And can't nobody save me but Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like a daily battle every day of like when you wake up, you because we all and again it goes back to choice. Like we all had a choice to um do what is right, but it's something in us too, in that same light, it's something that's equally powerful to saying to do something wrong. And we gotta fight that daily battle every day. And some people lose and some people win, but we have new grace that's that's sufficient every day that we can, you know, dust ourselves off and continue. I have another question. So when we try to do, when we, okay, I think I asked this before, but when we try to um, not do bad, why do we end up doing bad? Because like you're trying to fight that urge, but you end up doing it or saying that thing or doing that thing anyway. Well, that's because we in the flesh. Right, but we try hard not to. Like we try not hard not to say that thing or do that thing and say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, but we find ourselves, you know, doing it. Well, going look, looking at the scriptures that Zeke just read, uh, I think in that same verse, he talks about how uh, it is not I that do it, but it's the sin in me, or the sin that in me that does it. So it's 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 the flesh because we're in the flesh, we're subject to sin. Like we, it's it's gonna happen. It's it's gonna happen. You know, Jesus. Most most of the Bible talks about what to like what sins to stay away from, and like how to what to do after you've done it like how to re- like to tell bible talks about repenting repenting you know what i mean but in some scriptures it's plainly said like you just repent like, we, like we're called to repent because we're gonna we're gonna sin we don't we, we have we're all like what's it, what's it say we all fall short in romans 3 he says for we all sin and fall short of the glory of god for god yeah we, we we're destined. We're destined to sin. I'm gonna say destined, but it's like us being in the flesh. It, it's just inevitable, you know. So that's why, like we, because we're in the flesh. When we but get to heaven, it's something else. When we're in the spirit, it's something else. But while we're in the flesh, we're gonna sin, even though we try not to. We're also, called to try not to. My bad. <laughs> Go ahead. Also, to uh, Rian, it's like. Going back to what that what you just said of I'm trying not to. Yeah. That's the issue is that we're relying so much on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on yourself to not sin because your nature wants to sin. Yeah. You got to rely on God. We got to rely on the Holy Spirit to, to stop us, to have that self-control so that we don't fall into temptation, so that we don't do what's in our nature. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times while we fall into sin or still sin, even though we don't want to, was that because we're not relying on God to give us self-control. We're relying on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we can't do it. It's not a fruit of the nature. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Yeah, that's true. And, and kind of like what you said, Drew, that's why like right after, you know, God gave the law, he gave them instructions on what to do after they broke the law. That's a good point. Like he knew we're going to break it. <laughs> So, all right, I know you guys are human. So here's what you do right after you break the law that I just gave you. <laughs> this is how you go through the sacrifice process. So is it kind of like using your sins as a stepping stone? What you mean? Yeah, what you mean? Like you said, um, like you knew, like they gave them directions on what they broke it, which God knew they were going to sin. So. Is it like our sins? If we're if we know we're meant to sin, sometimes like when no one's perfect, then are we supposed to use it as a strength, like kind of like fuel? 
Um, kind of like to do the right thing. I wouldn't say that because I just hey, it's crazy you just said that because I read it in Romans. It's in Romans. It talks about uh, I think it's Romans talking about should we sin so that uh, your glory is like magnified? And they said, of course not. Like that's not we're not we're not supposed to do that. Yeah, Romans six and one. You said six and one. Yeah, it says, "Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" God forbid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I, I just read it. It was highlighted too. Yeah. It was, we're not. That's not. That's not what what it's for. That's not what we're supposed to. That's not what we're called to do. And then if you look at First John one eight and nine. It talks about that. So it's like this, gentlemen. I enjoyed everything I'm hearing. It's like we uh, and I'm getting here, everybody here is saved and been born again. So. We'll take it like this. We are not sinless. We sin less. Our motive operation is not to sin. But during the course of a day, if you're not having the word in you and how the spirit to bring the word back to your members, yeah, you're going to fall into some temptation and you're going to fall into sin. But the whole motive is we are not to sin. But during the course of the day, yeah, you might say, I'll give you a good example. What is sin? Sin is disobedience, missing the mark, overstepping a boundary example say you know the speed limit is 25 but you're doing 55 you you overstepping your boundaries so you of course not you you didn't see it oh wow see what i'm saying so it's a lot of ways you can look at it but you, the whole motive is we are to give god our best we are not to call to be perfect we are called to be righteous and holy because if we was called to be perfect jesus wouldn't have the cane and that word perfect in the Greek is teleus, means mature. We're supposed to mature daily. I like that. I like that too. <laughs> that could lead to a whole different. I have a lot of things I want to say. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> That's going to lead to a whole other Bible. Fix your spirit. I hope we get into your personal life and you apply Definitely. it to your daily life. Follow yeah, us every on week. Instagram account at we are K4C. That's W E A R E. K4C on Instagram and have a blessed day guys. Thank you guys so much.